Worried Writer, helping you to overcome fear, self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done. I'm your host, Sarah Painter, and I'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer. For show notes, resources and much more, please head to worriedwriter.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 31 of The Worried Writer. I'm recording this on Thursday the 31st of August, so I'm right up against the deadline for getting it out on the 1st of September. My guest today is Phoebe Morgan. Phoebe is a long-time listener of the show and a fascinating guest. She is both an editor at HarperCollins and an author, so she understands both sides of the publishing equation. Her debut psychological thriller, The Dollhouse, is coming out on the 14th of September, and it's an excellent dark and creepy read. I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy, and I love the way that Phoebe has created a sense of foreboding in the book, so I definitely recommend you check it out. We talk about self-doubt and pre-publication nerves, but Phoebe also gives insights into what grabs her as a commissioning editor when she is reading submissions, and conversely, the common mistakes she sees authors making. Even if you aren't looking to submit to an agent or a publisher, I do think her advice is spot on, as you will always need to grab your reader. In writing news, I finished the rewrite of the Supernatural book and sent it back to my agent, so I'm really, really pleased about that. In less good news, I only wrote half of my planned word count for the new shiny idea, but, you know, it's still progress. In exciting news this month, I was thrilled and honoured to be invited to be a guest on the Creative Pen podcast, and that just came out on Monday. Uh, Long-time listeners know that I am a massive fan of Joanna Penn, of her books and her podcast and her website. I will put a link to the episode in the show notes. I was so happy that it's had a good response, and I want to say a big welcome to any new listeners who might have come along from that interview. Because it was such a big deal to me, and Joanna, well, Joanna's podcast is a big deal within our industry, I was very, very nervous. Um, Joanna is lovely and we'd spoken before, so that helped. Uh, But still, I have to admit, I didn't sleep very well the night before recording the interview. And afterwards, I was really worried that I'd been too honest or that maybe I had just babbled a load of nonsense. The experience made me think of two things I really wanted to share. First off, a small effort applied consistently over time really does lead to big results. Uh, The reason that Joanna agreed to come onto this podcast, and I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes as well, and then later on invited me onto her show, is because I have been releasing this podcast every month for two and a half years. I had proven that I had something perhaps of value or something that she thought might be of value to her community. I just wanted to remind myself and everybody else really listening that sometimes it can feel as if we're not really getting anywhere. You know, you write 500 words or a thousand words or you put up a blog post or create a podcast episode and you can't really see how that's going to affect anything. It's not really going to shift the needle, so to speak. But I think this proves that those small efforts, if you just keep doing them consistently, 
they can really build up to something quite substantial, something valuable. And who knows what they'll lead to. The other thing that I wanted to share was, as I revealed, I felt very, very nervous before the interview and again in the run-up to it airing. But the response that I've had to my openness in the interview has been amazing. So kind and supportive and lovely. People have contacted me to say thank you for letting them know that they are not alone, which I have to say, it just, it makes the sleepless nights completely worth it for me. I find it truly rewarding and in a completely selfish way, I find it really helpful. I'm not, of course, saying that everybody needs to push themselves in the same way or in the same endeavour, but I just want to encourage anybody listening that if there's something that you really want to do, but nerves are stopping you, do take heart that you're not alone in those feelings, but it can be possible to take action despite them. And if you can, even by taking small steps or a scaled down version of that thing that you want to do, wonderful things can happen. And generally speaking, I really do believe that you'll get a good response because, you know, book people are great. (laughs) Okay, I also want to say a big thank you to the responses that I've received about my musings on funding the podcast. Most folk have voted for Patreon, so I will cogitate on that further. I did have a wee brainwave that a nice Patreon perk could be a private Facebook group for writerly support. If you like the sound of that, do let me know. As ever, I tend to have far too many ideas for the time available, but if I know it's something that people actively want, then it pushes it further up the list. Speaking of spinning too many plates at once, I have a confession to make. Although, as promised, I tried my very best to get the audiobook of Stop Worrying, Start Writing made during August, rewriting and a few sick days conspired against me. You know I like to be honest with you all, and that includes my failures as well as successes. Huge apologies to those who are waiting for the audio version to be released. I'm really sorry to make you wait, um, but I am going to rebook the studio time for this month in September, so hopefully I will have positive news for you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for rating, subscribing and spreading the word. I really do appreciate your support. If you have got a question that you would like answered on the show, or you have a recommendation to share, do get in touch, sarah at worriedwriter.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter. In addition, I have been trying to spend more time on Facebook and to update the Worried Writer Facebook page. So if you would like to connect with me there, do head over to facebook.com forward slash worriedwriter. Again, I will put the link in the show notes. It would be lovely to meet you. It really has been a bumper month on social media this month, but I only ever read out a handful of names when I do my quick Twitter shout out. Please know that I read and appreciate every single comment and retweet, and I do try to respond to everything. Thank you so much. Lauren at Lauren in MN said, just found the Worried Writer podcast and it's changing my life. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. I'm so glad that you found the podcast and that you're finding it helpful. Carly Findlay, at Carly Findlay, Claire Sager, who's at Claire S. Author. Claire actually posted a fab picture of her Stabilo fine liners, which, as she knows, I particularly like. A Little Book Problem, who's at book underscore problem. Liz, who's at Liz Tipping. And finally, the lovely Miranda Dickinson, who is at Wordsmith. 
Thank you again to everybody. And now on to the interview section of the show. Phoebe Morgan is both an editor at HarperCollins and an author, so she understands both sides of the publishing equation. Her debut psychological thriller, The Dollhouse, is coming out on the 14th of September, and it's already gathered lots of fabulous reviews. Author of Distress Signals and previous worried writer guest, Catherine Ryan Howard, calls it deliciously creepy, genuinely unnerving, and incredibly confident. Welcome to the show, Phoebe, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, that's a fantastic review. Um, as I say, there are many, so congratulations on that. That's very exciting. And could you just kick things off by telling us all a wee bit more about The Dollhouse? Uh, yes, of course. Um, so The Dollhouse is a psychological thriller uh, about two sisters called Ashley and Corinne. And it's about, about basically what happens when the truth about their family begins to come out. So I wanted to explore the idea of having the perfect family life and how events from your childhood can come back to haunt you uh, when you're an adult. Um, and I think the idea of the dollhouse is, is sort of a metaphor for that concept of the home and about what happens when your idea of home starts to unravel when you're an adult. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and we're speaking um, before it actually releases. It's out next month. Um, how are you feeling? Um, I feel nervous. It's yeah, it's a month uh, yesterday actually, so it's it's coming quite soon. Um, and the time has kind of gone very quickly since I got the deal. Uh, so I'm feeling I'm feeling good. Um, like you said, there's been like a lot of really lovely reviews, which mm-hmm. is just really nice because a lot of people have been really supportive. So that really helps. Uh, but it's it's a bit strange um being on the other side of it because I'm an editor as well, so I'm sort of used to the publication process. And when it's your own, it, it does feel very nerve-wracking. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. And like, I'm, that's why I was thinking it's so lovely that you had these fantastic early reviews, because it does help, doesn't it? It just sort of... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just reassuring. Like, I'm sure there'll be lots of bad reviews once it comes out. But I think just to have a few people on your side early on just kind of allays the fears a little bit. Mm. And what, what was your path to publication like? Because as you said, you're a... You're an editor, you're in the business, so did it help that you knew about publishing or was it, no, I know too much? (laughs) So my path to publication was was a bit strange. Um, It was was quite slow, I think, but maybe everyone thinks that, I don't know. But um, so I... So when I first wrote The Dollhouse, I was actually working at a non-fiction publisher. So it was quite it was quite different. It was quite separate from what I was doing during the day. Um, but then by the time I got the deal, I was at HarperCollins in fiction. So now it is very similar to what I'm doing during the day. So there is quite a lot of crossover. For me, I actually find it quite helpful being in publishing because I think it just gives me an insight into what's going on. Um, and I think it probably makes my expectations more realistic because I sort of I know what to expect and there's nothing confusing about it. Um, because I often think for, for authors who, who aren't previously published or who don't work in publishing, it must be quite confusing and quite daunting because there's so many different stages of the process and so many different jump hoops to jump through. But I suppose for me, I, I at least understand what's going on. So I'm not in the dark about anything, um, which is helpful. But then obviously there's the flip side because um, I kind of, I can tell if, if something's bad news. Do you know what I mean? I, <laughs> I, I can't really be fooled in that way. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, there is, a, there, is a, there is a case of knowing too much. But for me so far, I found it quite helpful to, to understand what's going on. 
Oh, that's good. And and do you ever find um, that you are a wee bit fatigued because you're, I mean, book people are the best people. And I think you've probably got many, many people listening who would be very envious of your job. It's amazing. Um, but having said that, um, do you ever feel a sort of book fatigue because all day you're you're in the book world and then you're writing at you know in the evenings and does that ever do you ever find that that sort of adds pressure in some way because you're aware of markets and yeah I think I think it does I think um the main thing for me that I find hard is, is looking at the screen so I think if I'm looking at the screen at work all day and I'm looking at a word document blog you know another person's writing and then coming home to look at mine that can be quite tiring because you know like everyone you have times where you think oh you know I just want to do something else like something totally unrelated and it definitely does feel as though my work life and my personal life are very much blurred now there isn't really a switch off button because everything I'm doing is in the same field um and but you know at the same time I do really love what I do and I'm I feel quite lucky to have a job that I love and then you know this kind of sideline job that I also enjoy um so in a way being immersed in it is is really nice but there are definitely times when I just sort of think you know I can't you know I don't want to die or you know I just want to do something completely different um and it's it's also quite hard sometimes because I work very closely with my authors um at HarperCollins and then obviously you switch from being really involved in their book to being really involved in your own book so you have to be careful to start like copying their style or you know you've got to move from one book to another um so that can be quite tricky sometimes because it's, it's you know it's a lot of characters in my head and some of them are mine some of them are other people's um, so yeah I have about 15 authors that I edit so it, it is quite a lot of books going on um but at the same time I you know I love books and I love writing so I don't really know what else I would do with my time anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I was thinking about the difficulty of, I hadn't quite thought about the character thing, but I yeah. had, I mean, I used to work in um, journalism and I knew that by the end of the day when I was working full time, um, I felt a bit worded out. You know, there were no yeah. more words in my brain. <laughs> um, so I just wondered if, if you ever find that. And, and if so, do you have any tips for people who are working full time and then writing? Um, well, I, I do think it's, diff- you know, it's, it's hard to, to have the full time job and then have the energy to mm-hmm. do your own thing on the side. Um, I think it comes down to just trying to enjoy it and trying to really get the most out of what you're doing so remember why you're doing it and try and think of it as something to enjoy rather than a chore and you know there will be times where it does feel like a chore when you think oh god I've got to get my 1000 words done today and it it feels like an extra job on the list um but I think you've also got to be really kind to yourself and if you know if you are having a day where you've been really stressed at work or something else is going on then just give yourself a break and don't feel as though you have to do everything all at once because you know, you do have to have time to yourself and you've got to give yourself relaxation periods in order for your brain to keep on working because, you know, if you're spending all your time at your computer, you know, you do get tired and you get backache and your eyes start to hurt. So, you know, you have to be realistic about what you can achieve and it's important not to beat yourself up for maybe not doing as well as you can on one particular day Um, because at the end of the day, you know, you've got to, you know, you have to be realistic with timelines and if you have deadlines, you have to meet them. But you've also got to make sure that you're not burning yourself out. So I think that's that's quite important for me, I think. I'm really glad that you mentioned some of the physical things there because <laughs> I think that we all, I think we do all suffer with them. But um, yeah, I just think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, that, that takes a toll quite apart from, you know, the mental tiredness 
they're all yeah, physical I'm, things mm. I'm such a hypochondriac like I'm such a moan or anything but I do think yeah it, it, especially because you know like I keep saying the screen like it, it's hard to just keep looking at a word document you know all day and then all evening too um so it's important to have breaks and you know to I mean I try and write in the evenings and then you know at the weekends as well um and I find I do best actually like during the day so on a Saturday or a Sunday during the day um so I'm not, you know, I read things about people who get up at 5am and light a candle and write like 2,000 words and I'm just not one of those people. I just, I'm not really a morning person. So, and there's no point trying to force yourself into a personality type that you're not, I think. It's about finding the time that works best for you and then going with that rather than, you know, comparing yourself to other people and thinking, oh, you know, I should be up at dawn or I should be burning the midnight oil. Um, because if that's not you, then it, it just isn't you. Um and, you know, if your eyes are hurting, then you need to have a sleep. You know, you can't you can't make yourself push yourself right to the edge because, you you know, it'll damage your health, really. Mm, absolutely. And so do you tend to sort of binge right on the weekend or do you try and do a little bit in the evenings or is it a combination? Um, it's kind of a combination. It depends where I am in the book. So if I'm in a really sort of intense period, I try and be really strict and I try and do a thousand words a day. Um, and it almost doesn't matter when I get those done, you know, as long as I've done them by by the time I go to sleep. But at other times, maybe when I'm going back and editing, then I will do it, you know, for a few hours at a day at the weekend or, you know, I'll do it in sporadic here and there points. Um, and I think for me as well, when I'm not actually physically writing, I'm always thinking about it. So I've got all these random lists on my phone in the, in the notes section of sort of strange words that I want to put in my book or little scenes that I've suddenly remembered I need to add in. Um, so it's almost as though you are writing in your head, even when it's not on the page. Mm. Um, and when the time comes to sit down, you can you can put those, put those words into the book. Um, you know, so you don't always have to be physically at the desk to be thinking about your next project. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a really good tip. And that's also really reassuring. I don't know about you, but I find um, sometimes when I'm doing something else, thoughts do randomly pop into my head, like even when yeah. I'm brushing my teeth or something. Um, <laughs> and like you said, it all counts. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I like to, you know, you do have to write it down eventually. But I think, you know, stuff takes time to form and you sort of have, sometimes I'll have like a breakthrough of an idea with a plot point that I've been struggling on for ages. And then suddenly I'll, I'll think of what to do. And it's such a big relief. And other times I'll be writing and I think, you know, I really am stuck. And I'll, what I'll do is I'll jump to a different section of the book and maybe write a scene near the end or I'll write a scene, you know, totally unrelated, but where I do have more control over what's happening because I'm not very good at writing in a, a linear way. I know some writers are, are excellent at sort of keeping the narrative going, but I'm very much back and forth. And then I sort of go back and fill in the gaps. And I find that's the thing that works best for me. But, you know, I think every writer is very, it's really different. Mm, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm not linear either. I tend to jump around and I don't plan. Do you plan or do you outline? Mm, no. So that's my <laughs> main piece of paranoia is um, I'm a terrible planner and I get really worried about that because I see other writers um, on social media who have got these amazing graphs and like coloured post-it notes and they detail every single scene and I just think they're amazing and I don't know how they do it because I just cannot do that I'm very much I kind of make it up as I go along um I always try and get the first draft out because I think 
that's the most important bit is getting it on the page and then going back and sorting it all out um mm-hmm. I mean with the dollhouse I did a lot of redrafting um and I did a lot of revisions um and you know in the end the, the end product was very different to my first draft but for me the only way I could do it was to get something out and then go back and revise it because planning just seemed just seemed impossible for me I think <laughs> I think it's another personality thing like I'm I don't really plan very much in my in my life either. I kind of, you know, I do things quite last minute sometimes and I sort of let things happen in a way. Um, so it's, I think it's just about what kind of person you are as well. Mm. Well, it's music to my ears because I'm not a planner and I, I often fret about it, but I'm yeah. I'm getting better. I'm now sort of starting, I think, maybe, <laughs> um, <laughs> just starting to come to peace with the fact that that's just how I work. And that's yeah. okay. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, I've spent ages wishing that I could be a planner and, you know, I've tried to be a planner. I sit there with my notebook and I think, right, I'm going to plan this one out and I'm not going to get into a muddle with it, but it, it just doesn't work. It, it kind of blocks something in my brain. I don't know whether it, it's because it makes me think of, I don't know, maybe maths or, you know, something a bit, a bit more, I don't know, something just a bit more difficult. The idea of planning reminds me of school or something like that. Yeah, for me, it just makes me really uncreative. Um, so I think, yeah, I just have to find the best way I can. And when you when you're sorting out um, as a fellow messy first draft redrafter, yeah. um, um, I've sort of worked on different ways of getting that really messy first or second or third draft into a better form and I often go back through and and I'll summarize each scene and that's when the colored post-it notes come out and I kind of structure and all of that after I've got a first draft is that something that you do or do you sort of um or do you sort of cycle through rewriting bit by bit um so I do I do a bit of both so with the dollhouse I did do that I um did it because it's from the point of view of a few different characters so I wanted to make sure that they were kind of equally weighted throughout so I went through each chapter and checked you know who was in the scene you know a, a really brief summary of what happened in that scene and then I color uh, coded it so that I could sort of really easily see how much airtime each character had and um, and that was really helpful um just to make sure that the kind of the pace of the book was right and the rhythm was right um, but then I will, yeah, also just go through and, you know, sometimes rewrite entire scenes or move scenes around a bit like a jigsaw um, so that in the end I've got something, yeah, quite different to what I started with, but that is a bit more coherent. Yeah, that's interesting. And um, so I think we've touched on something that you that you worry about a wee bit. So I'd like to delve more into that yeah. <laughs> since you know that you know this podcast, you know I'm going to ask you about your struggles. Do you ever suffer from creative block? Um, yes, definitely. <laughs> um, I think I get quite paralysed um, by thinking about the industry because because of my job you know I know how many submissions we get and I know how many of those get published and it's not many so I do understand how how difficult it can be um, and you know I've, I speak to salespeople and I know how brutal it can be about what they're looking for do you know what I mean like mm-hmm. if something just isn't right for the market it isn't right for the market even if it's really well written so I have that in my head constantly and so there'll be times when I'm writing and I just think, oh, you know, this just isn't going to sell. This isn't going to work. Um, and that's quite paralyzing, having that kind of insider knowledge. And I'm also I'm trying to be better, but I'm also quite bad at comparing myself to others and thinking about, you know, their journey to publication and was it easier than mine and their book is better than mine. I'm trying really hard not to do that because 
I think it's pointless and really unhealthy. Um, so that is something I definitely advise against. But <laughs> stuff like this does does give me a kind of creative block. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just find myself, you know, just procrastinating and, you know, going out and seeing friends when I really should be writing and sort of putting it off tomorrow and the next day and the next day and then what eventually I'll get to a point where it's becoming ridiculous and I have to start writing or else I can't even call myself a writer anymore <laughs> I have to kind of wait for that breaking point and then I'll be very intense again and do it every day um so yeah I'm, I definitely struggle with procrastination um I need to be better at it <laughs> that's sounding alarmingly familiar I do think the um <laughs> I do think that the comparisonitis the comparing is so so difficult but you're definitely yeah. not alone um, but I do agree with you that it's that that we shouldn't do it. <laughs> um, so you mentioned your sort of path to publication briefly, but I don't think we we didn't quite dive into it. Would you mind um, telling us a wee bit about your own your own path? Yeah, of course. Um, so so I wrote the first draft of the book, um, like I said, when I was in nonfiction, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, before that, I actually was working in um, in journalism. So I maybe similar to you, I was kind of uh, writing time but it wasn't what I wanted to write it was you know I report stories and, and news stories um for a newspaper and you know that you know I think I think journalism is, is really great but it just wasn't the right career for me um so so after that I started thinking about what I really want to write and that was creative writing um so I I had done a couple of um creative writing courses at university so one of those short stories became the dollhouse eventually so I started off with about 1500 words from the short story and kind of started to develop it and develop it more and so I had a first draft relatively quickly like it took me a few months to do a first draft and at that point I was quite naive so I I didn't edit it anywhere near as well as I should have done before I started querying agents I'm quite embarrassed about this now but I just started querying lots of agents um and I was quite lucky because I had some really nice responses um even though I, I didn't really deserve it because it was still a complete mess um and yeah so I had a few people wanting to see the full manuscript um and you know I also had a lot of people saying you know no straight up not for us and you just kind of you become used to that kind of rejection um I was quite pragmatic and I always thought okay well that one said no so I'll go out to the next agent um and I researched the agents quite a lot before so I I was I was trying to make sure to target the right kind of people because obviously each agent has their own wish list and they're all very different. So I needed to find someone who wanted to work on the kind of commercial fiction that I was writing. Um, anyway, so I was very lucky to meet my agent, uh, who is Camilla Ray at Dali Anderson, and she was very enthusiastic. I think she emailed me after after about one or two days after I sent it um, and then she read it very quickly which was which was great it was really really exciting um, and she was really enthusiastic um, but then she wanted me to do a, a kind of rewrite for her and she gave me lots of really great editorial advice because um, she's quite a hands-on agent not every agent is but she is um, so we did quite a big revision and then the April of the next year she uh, offered me a contract which was great. I remember I was sitting in um, in foils on Charing Cross Road in London, um, so it was quite apt to go in a bookshop. And I suddenly got this email, and I had to. I was with a friend, but I didn't want to tell them, so I had to go to the bathroom and kind of read read the email again, change time, and do a little dance. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was great when she she signed me. And um, I think you do have that feeling when you get an agent that 
you know that's it you're definitely going to get a deal um and that is that is not always how it goes um no matter how how good the agent is because we we didn't get a deal with the first round of submission um it it was quite a difficult time it was I was you know you're you're so you start off with really high hopes and then kind of the rejections start to come in and there were a few near near misses and that kind of thing Mm. um and I had a couple of people ask for me to do uh, revise and resubmit. So I did a lot of work for one publisher in particular, um, and then we resubbed it, um, and then it got turned down then again. Oh, um, gosh. That, yeah, so that was really disappointing because I did think that that might come to something. But, you mm-hmm. know, I understand that it's just what happens. Um, and, you know, their, their, their feedback was really great as well, and that kind of helped me revise it again. And then we went out on submission again, I think, um, and then we did get the deal um, with HQ this year, which was really exciting. Um, and it also, it came at quite a late stage. So by that point, I wasn't really expecting to get a deal for this book. I, I actually thought that we would, I would, you know, I'd already written a second book by that point. So I thought it would be on to the next one. Um, but, you know, it was I was still sad about the first book because I think for me, the main thing was that I felt as if I had wasted all this time writing it. Mm. Um, and for it not to have got a deal would have been really sad. But I think... That's why I'm so grateful for HQ sort of taking this chance on me because it it's really nice to feel as though that time wasn't a complete waste. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was quite a long and winding journey, but you know I think every stage kind of helps helps you become a better writer and also makes you a bit more tough skinned. Um, so I'm sure there'll be more rejection to come. You know, it's just one of those things. And I think once you once you've been through a process like that, you kind of know more about yourself and what you can handle, and it, it makes your expectations more realistic as well. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, absolutely. But I, I also think, I mean, so this really is effectively your first novel. Yeah. So although it probably, I mean, I'm, I'm not minimising how it felt at the time because believe me, I have revised books and then had them rejected and it's heartbreaking. Um, but I do think, and I did a lot of revision on my first published book as well. And now I think, well, actually, I think I was learning to write a book as well at the same time, yeah. if you see what I mean. I was learning how to write a book and how to revise a book yeah. through that process. Um, I don't know if that helps at all. Even if you hadn't got a deal, it certainly wouldn't have been wasted. No, I think I think you're right. Now mm. I think it's it's just it's it's so hard to see that at the time yes. because all you see is you know all I saw was just hours I had spent and I just felt you know you do feel a bit heartbroken. But um, I think you're definitely right, and I think you know I, in a way I, I don't even regret it because it it does feel as though you know you have learned a lot from it and that mm. you know the book is much better now than it was when we first well, even when we first went out on submission. Mm. I think that the close misses are the hardest to deal with sometimes, you know, because you know that the book is is good. It just I agree. I think I mean I I did actually meet with a publisher that then that yeah then it didn't didn't work out and so that was brutal as well because yeah you just you do you you just can't raise your hopes like that and I think at the time I wasn't at HarperCollins but now that I am <laughs> I think I'm I'm more realistic like I know that sometimes you do get really close to acquiring mm. something and then for some reason you can't and that could be for any reason really like you know I turned down a book the other day because we had something really similar to it on the list and that's not the author's fault and it's not you know it's not anyone's fault it's just timing Mm. and you know but for an author to hear you know you always think oh the editor's probably making an excuse or you know they're just trying to be nice to me because everyone in publishing is so nice (laughs) Um, but in actual fact it is sometimes true you know they are sometimes telling the truth and that there mm. isn't the space or you know the market's not quite there yet um 
so yeah I think I think a lot of getting a deal is, is often about timing um, mm-hmm. and if you're persistent enough and you know your manuscript lands on the right editor's desk you know there are just so many variables and when you're sitting at home you know panicking about who's reading your book and that kind of thing it's, it's impossible for you to know what's going on behind the scenes. Mm, absolutely so you have landed a top agent and a book deal with a major publisher and um, so what advice apart from perhaps persistence I'm guessing uh, would you give to people listening who would like to follow in your footsteps yeah I think definitely the key is to carry on um there are there were I mean there are lots of times where you know I I think oh you know you know what am I doing I'm making myself miserable by you know trying to achieve this dream um, and then especially when you look at, you know, maybe friends that aren't interested in writing and you think they look so happy and <laughs> I'm just creating all this anxiety for myself. Um, but, you know, I think I think most writers would probably agree that, um, you know, when it's something you want to do, that kind of nagging urge to do it just doesn't really go away. So, you know, there are times where you think, oh, I'll give up for a bit and you sort of sulk for a few months. And in a few months, you kind of have this nagging voice saying you should just get back to it. And so then all that's really happened is you've wasted a few months. Um, (laughs) So I think the best thing to do is to just carry on writing. Um, And I had a point last year where I felt probably the worst point where I just, I really didn't think the book one was going to sell. And, you know, I was really sad about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just started writing some short stories, which I'm probably never going to show anyone. Um, But I, it just really helped me, you know, try to realize why I love writing again without without thinking about getting a deal or without thinking about the market I just sort of wrote a few short stories um oh. about what I felt like writing about at that time I think that's really helpful just sort of do something else but something related so just try and, try and keep writing try and keep it in perspective um you know and also try and talk to people about it I mean I have a really good group of friends who are also writers and we support each other kind of through the whole process um, and I'm really lucky to have them but it's I think it's really important to find people who understand what you're going through because to an outsider it can seem a bit strange or a bit silly um, so I think it's really helpful to have people that are trying to do a similar thing to you because then you can you know they, they just get what you what you're feeling mm-hmm. um, so yeah try, try and do that maybe try and join a writing group or you know reach out to people on Twitter that's how I met my friends uh, in the first place so you know there's lots of different ways to connect with the industry and to connect with other writers so that you don't feel so alone Mm, absolutely I completely agree with you I think that's fantastic advice um and if it's um we're talking about sort of some of the mindset issues and procrastination and so on but do you ever struggle, um, do you ever get stuck in the sort of craft side of things, you know, get stuck in the first draft or something? And and do you have any strategies or, or re- books or resources or anything in particular that you recommend or have found helpful? Yes. So I, I really like um, Stephen King's book on writing, which is famous, so probably most people would say that one. Um, it's fantastic, so, though. Always worth saying. Yeah, it's really helpful. <laughs> helpful um it made me feel guilty where he says he says he writes on Christmas day and I would never do that so it's a very high standard I did um, it I did it once and my husband was you? not that thrilled so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I'd get married um a book called uh writer bestseller which is part of the creative writing masterclass series um I think it's by someone called Jack Burns which is J-A-C-Q um, and that's available online and, and in the I think I got it in Waterstones um, and that's very helpful because it's quite um, it's very practical it's about you know 
what a bestseller is in today's market and how to mm-hmm. achieve it. It's, it's quite blunt, um, which I found really interesting. Um, there's also a great blog, um, which you've probably heard of called Literary Rejections, um, which, is, which is really nice because it just kind of tells people's individual stories and their path to publication. Um, and then if you sign up, it sends you like little inspirational quotes, which is quite fun. Um, and then there is, this is a bit random, but there's a short story by uh, Laurie Moore, who is one of my favourite um, short story writers, um, which is called How to Be a Writer. I think it's called that, um, which which is just a kind of whimsical story about a girl who wants to be a writer. Um, but I would really recommend it. Cause it's, it's, it's really easy to read. It's very short. Um, but I just sometimes go back to it just for a bit of, I don't know, just a bit of like relief. But it's also because she's got a really lovely way with words so yeah those are a few resources that I would recommend yeah there's so many amazing blogs out there about the submission process um and so podcasts you know like yours is so brilliant for writers that are you know just wanting to feel less alone um yeah so that it's so so important to kind of reach out and see what there is out there because there's there's loads of brilliant and of course again you you do have this dual perspective on things and so (laughs) When in your work as an editor, obviously you're seeing all of these manuscripts, you're working with authors um, on their books. Um, do you then take home the lessons or do you try not to? Or are there any sort of common mistakes that you see writers making? Um, so for me, I think, I mean, I work with some really, really great authors. So, I, you know, I think they're all the ones that, you know, I work with, I think are brilliant. Um, but there are, yeah, we do get a lot of submissions, and I think one of the big problems with um, new writers is that is their openings. Um, so for for an editor, and it's the same everywhere, you know, we have a lot to get through. So the opening of a book is like really important um, because you know we have to read. You know, we say we'll read about 100 pages, and, and you know, give every book a chance. Um, but every book that I have acquired, I have read from start to finish straight away because I've just immediately been gripped um, and you can kind of tell when you're not going to buy a book because I'll start reading it and then I'll put it down and then I'll I'll suddenly it gets to the next editorial meeting and I'll think oh god I haven't I haven't actually picked that one back up um, and I think that just shows you how important it is to really hook the reader straight away I mean this is this I'm talking really about commercial fiction um, but I think just spend that extra bit of time working on your opening page even um, and just make sure that you really get it right um, and get other people to read it. So, you know, maybe just ask a friend or another reader to have a look and be honest with you about whether it's gripping from the off. Um, mm-hmm. I think the same with, with chapter openers. I, I find like a lot of writers think they need to start a chapter opener sort of quite softly and they'll talk about the weather or, you know, they'll kind of do a little recap on the last chapter and you just don't do that. Just just cut it out and just go straight to the action um, because that is kind of what I'm interested in as an editor. That's what I'm looking for. You know, is this book going to be marketable? Is it going to sell? And, you know, do you care about the characters from the beginning? Um, because if you're wasting so much time with kind of, like you know just just extra words you, you just don't need them um, uh-huh. you know you, you can still have amazing descriptions and you know really in-depth characters but you can do that without without boring the reader um so yeah I suppose those are the, some of the things that uh, I try to watch out for because I know how much we value them at mm. Hop College um but then it's also it's so different with your own work like I probably say that about other people's but it's, it's much easier to be objective about someone else's than it is Oh, it absolutely is. <laughs> yeah, and, you're so, and when you're writing, you're so involved in your own that you it takes that 
that's I mean that's why hopefully that's why editors exist because you know you need somebody to be that fresh pair of eyes and someone to kind of step back from your book and you know just gently show you the things that could be improved um but you know I think uh, I always say to my authors that what I'm saying is a, is a suggestion rather than an order um <laughs> because you know at the end of the day an author is the one in charge of their book so I would never want anyone feel uncomfortable by the edits um so I think it's important just to feel like you're in control of your book but also to listen to objective advice when people give it to you oh absolutely I've learned so I I so value working with with good editors it's just the most amazing thing and the books would not be the books they are well I mean it's just yeah it's incredible I'm so grateful um there's there's always so many people that go into making a book I think you know mm -hmm. that you know your agent probably does loads and then then, you know and our books are read by the sales team as well and you know the publicity team so it really you know there's so many different people looking at your book and they'll all have a different that they're coming at it from um but when you're a writer it's it's really difficult to see that um, so just taking that time to step back and look at how your book would seem to someone else, I think is really important. Mm. And what, what really fires you up if you, you know, when you're picking up a submission and you know, you're saying that you, it's a really good sign when you just keep reading, um, yeah. what is it that's likely to have caught you or what really fires you up about a new book? Um, well, my, so my favorite genre is probably, um, the crime thriller genre and the psychological thriller genre. Um, but you know, I have. I had a really nice women's fiction book come through the other day and, and you know that was really lovely because I'm, I'm not always that, that keen on women's fiction um so basically anything which which yeah grabs you from the beginning um I think something just with a real real distinctive voice um because at the moment you know the market is you know it is really saturated with these thrillers um but you know that, that doesn't mean that they aren't all good in their own way so I think it's just important for you to find that unique writing voice and and you for you to care about the characters because you know sometimes there'll be a really strong concept or you know when the agent sends the book in it sounds really amazing but then when you start reading it you know there's something that doesn't quite feel real about about the characters mm-hmm. um so I think it's really important for you to you know kind of work out who each character is in your mind while you're writing um and that's something that I'd I try to do as well kind of work out what your character's motivation is and what's their backstory um, and even if it doesn't end up being used in your book I think it kind of comes through anyway because yeah when I when I've I've found books that I really love it's always because the characters are really strong and they're really kind of vivid in my mind from the first page um so any authors that can create really strong characters and then a really great plot as well um they always kind of get my attention um No, that's really interesting. Thank you. That's really good advice as well. Um, So just to finish up, what are you working on at the moment or what's next? I feel bad saying what's next. What's next is your (laughs) debut. Yay. (laughs) Exciting. (laughs) So I'll try to get over the panic of that. Um, (laughs) So I'm working on um, another book now. So so I did have a second book, which I've actually kind of abandoned. Um, it, It is finished, but I now don't don't think it works with the first one um because I think yeah I think as a writer if you're working in in a commercial market you need to kind of carve a voice for yourself um so because I've sold the first one the second book now doesn't really work with it um so now I'm writing a third one 
which I'm actually really excited about, um, which is called, at the moment, it's called The Buttercup Field. Um, and so it's a story of a violent couple who are locked together by a secret. Um, and they want to, they basically want to divorce each other, but they can't. Um, and the reader doesn't know why. Mm. Um, and it's set in a, a small village, uh, which is actually where I grew up when I was small, um, which had this beautiful uh, field at the back, which is full of buttercups. Um, so that's kind of the, the starting point for the novel. And then it becomes um, a bit of a murder mystery. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of working through that now. And, yeah, I'm quite excited about it. But who knows whether I will manage to sort out the plot. Fingers <laughs> 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 crossed that I will. Um, so, yeah. No, I'm sure you I'm sure you will. Um, but yes, it's try. Well, yes, try and enjoy. You know, you've yeah. worked so hard and you've made it. You're going to, you know, this book is going to come out and it's very exciting. And I know it's scary as well. But um, yeah, the reviews are amazing. So yeah, try and enjoy it. And um, what are you going to do on publication day? Are you going to drink yourself into a light coma or? Um, probably. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, I, yeah, I'm going away with my family the day after. Um, so I might go and take a day off and go with them a little bit early so that we can maybe have dinner or something like that. Um, I think I'll probably just try and, yeah, I'll just try and relax um, and enjoy it for one day because the rest of the time I'm just worrying about it. So, yeah, I'll just, I'll just try to relax. Definitely. That sounds like a very good plan. And so where should people go to find out more about you and your books? Um, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Phoebe underscore A underscore Morgan. And that will also link to my website, which is Phoebe Morgan author dot com, I think. Um, and I kind of post stuff there about um, my writing and also about the publishing process. So I try and keep my editor and my author hat on. And my book is available from the 14th of September. And you can pre-order it now on Amazon. And yes, then it will be available to buy on the 14th. So yes, please, uh, please do if you want to. And if you like it, then please leave a review because it really helps. Thank you. No, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely to speak to you. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks for listening today. For show notes and links, head to worriedwriter.com. If you'd like to connect, find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter or use the hashtag worriedwriter. See you next time.